Welcome to College Unbound, the weekly podcast by Focus Collegiate, dedicated to diverse learning in the college environment. Thanks for being with us. This is Jane Taylor here with my colleague, Anne-Marie Stripling. Anne-Marie is the Focus Collegiate Enrollment and Outreach Director. Always a pleasure, Anne-Marie. Great to see you. Good to see you. Today, our subject is, you don't know what you don't know, an occupational therapist perspective. Our guest is registered occupational therapist, Brooke Howard. Yay, Brooke. Brooke (laughs) is the clinical director and founding partner at Skills for Life, and she's the director of Transition to Adulthood at the Ivy Street School in Brookline, Massachusetts. Before coming to Ivy Street, She worked in inpatient and outpatient rehab and supervised the outpatient program at Franciscan Hospital for Children. Brooke also worked as an adjunct faculty in the occupational therapy department at Sargent College. She has an MS in occupational therapy from Sargent College at Boston University and an undergraduate degree in neuroscience from Oberlin She has been working as a licensed occupational therapist since 2005 and at Ivy Street School since 2009. Thank you so much for being with us, Brooke. Thank you for having me. You have a master's in occupational therapy and a bachelor's in neuroscience. How do these degrees relate to one another and to your work? This fascinates me. We're looking at your origin story a little bit, Brooke. Sure. Yeah. So I was attracted to neuroscience as an undergraduate in an effort to understand human behavior. I took a lot of psychology classes, a lot of science classes, a lot of, and then, you know, of course the neuroscience specific classes. I also had a minor in theology which I think contributed to my efforts to to understand, you know, why do people act the way they do? What sort of meaning are people seeking in their lives? Um, And how do they, how are they seeking to understand the world around them? And then how is that also informed by their internal experience, which, you know, maybe driven by, you know, their brain and neurology. And of course, then there's all of the psychology around how are you raised and what are the external factors Um, So that fit really nicely into an occupational therapy degree because occupational therapy is a field that really looks holistically at individuals um, and really seeks to determine, you know, for each individual person, what is it that is meaningful for you? What gets you through your days? um, What motivates you? And and what kinds of roles and responsibilities do you engage in that give you meaning and purpose in your life? Why do you do what you do? Wow, that's a great question. I am drawn to working with individuals who think differently than I do. Um, I learn a lot and I find that to be incredibly uh, stimulating and mind opening. And I'm also driven by a desire to broaden our entire community, society, world to be more inclusive um, so both by, you know, kind of digging in and really supporting individuals and learning about each individual experience so that they can, you know, find their own path um, and also working 
on the other side uh, to try to broaden and help our communities really understand and engage our young adults who we work with. How refreshing to be attracted to people who think differently than you do. We're sort of struggling with that globally, I think, right now. Brooke, what is your teaching philosophy? Sort of the the way that I teach uh, the individuals I work with is to get into what is motivating for them. I also supervise people who I've worked with, occupational therapists and other professionals, and then also teaching at BU. So really getting to understand the person who's being taught what drives them, what motivates them, what makes work meaningful for them, and then what excites them. Um, That's not Mm -hmm. just the people that I, you know, people who I supervise, I hope to really dig into what excites them, um, but also the individual clients that I work with, what really lights you up? And then how can Mm -hmm. we, how can we look at that as a tool for learning? Let's shift into teaching life skills. We'll get right down to it. Life skills include things like doing your laundry, waking up on time, taking your medication, things like that. But they also include diet, hygiene, exercise, forming habits, mindset. As a practicing adult, and I say practicing because I'm still working on it, I know that I have to pay attention to diet and exercise and habits, but sometimes they're not my priority right? How do you get students who are busy trying to figure out who they are? Mm -hmm. How do you get these young adults to prioritize life skills? It's a great question. Um, The first sort of comment that I have related to that is we need to afford our young adults um, grace and compassion because they are busy doing quite a lot of other things, just the same way we were busy doing quite a lot of other things at their age. So that's the first piece that I think is important related to life skills. The second piece is we have to help to prioritize. Nobody can work on all the things at, at the same time. I think particularly working with families who are eager for to see their young adults succeed. And there's a laundry list of skills, like you just named, you know, a very small fraction of the skills. I mean, that life skills are lifelong. Um, so really helping, helping to prioritize and the way that I help young adults prioritize is to think about what their goals are and do some backwards planning with them. So if my long-term goal is to graduate college, But my short-term goal, which might be this semester or this month, or we might even need to go like this week, um, you know, is to get through these next three exams or to pass this class or whatever that may be. Let's backwards plan and think about what what life skills are going to support you towards that. So for some individuals, it's making sure I get enough sleep. For some individuals, it might be, you know, making sure I get to class on time because that's going to impact whether I can pass this class. Others, it might be related to, you know, making sure I have breakfast. I work with a young woman who has ADD and takes medication that impacts her appetite. So she was just saying like she lost a lot of weight last semester because she wasn't eating consistently and then that impacted her health. And so, you know, for her this semester, we had a long conversation about like, how are we going to backwards plan your morning routine? So we make sure we carve out time for eating because that is important for your success. So Mm -hmm. um, I can't stress enough how important it is to link the habit to the goal in a super concrete way. Like you could argue that every habit is linked to your success and it is, 
but we all prioritize. I mean, we all decide this week I'm really busy for work with work. So I'm not going to be able to work out as much as I had hoped or think, you know, something like that. So really, I think, um, and, and using visual mapping and using really concrete strategies for individuals to help them see how things are connected and what their priorities are for that week. And then supporting them with accountability check-ins too is important. Tell me a little bit about visual mapping. I like to use like really concrete visuals to write and backwards plan goals. So um, we have a number of different things that we call goal ladders. Um, We also use sometimes a goal web where we'll put a longer term goal, medium and short term goal, uh, and then break those goals into very small parts. Um, You know, my goal is to pass biology this semester, what are the really small parts of that? You know, showing up to class on time, keeping track of my homework, you know, whatever the tiny little parts are. What's even the smallest part of showing up to class on time? Oh, it's getting up on time, which means going to sleep at a reasonable time. You know, so using those visuals, it's also teaching the skill of breaking down a goal, which is part of self-determination, which is a really important skill that we focus on. Um, So actually, you know, Sometimes it's writing it out. It might be using a computer to type it out. Some people jot it on their phone. Um, But even if an individual doesn't want their own copy, I will go through the process of making a visual with them so that they can see it. Otherwise, this this all of this can feel so abstract. Personally, I have post-it notes. You can't see them on the screen, but they're all over here. It's like, okay, these kinds of tools are what you're talking about. Yep. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. And then sometimes, um, you know, sometimes individuals then use, you know, they might use a reminder on their phone or sometimes those tools can translate into something, into something else. Um, Mm -hmm. But sort of having a visual that we go back to that really maps out what my goal is and what are the steps to get there. I'm projecting here, but I know that the question I'm about to ask has a million different answers. Uh And that is, what are the outcomes you're looking for in your work with students? And I'm sure it's unique for each person. Is there a common outcome that you're working toward? It's, It's a really interesting question that we've been talking about a lot recently. And I know I'm not directly answering your question, but we have been talking quite a lot about interdependence versus independence and are we emphasizing independence too much and not teaching explicitly interdependence? We model interdependence and we ask for interdependence. We teach our students to use their resources and use other people, but we're not super explicit with how we're defining that and how that looks, uh, how people might see that in the broader community, like, you know, how we're modeling that as adults in the world. So that's just just going to kind of put that there because that's something mm-hmm. we've been really talking about. Self-determination is one of the biggest outcomes that we track. So the capacity to set a goal, break down a goal, work towards a goal, modify a goal. Um, if it's not working for you, the feeling that you have control over the outcome of your life and that you have some tools to control it. Um, self-advocacy. So asking for what you need, being able to articulate what you need, um, being able to say this works for me, this doesn't. That's one huge one that we work on. And then the other, the other kind of big category is, uh, a responsibility shift. So we use a tool that looks at 
um, for all these skills that we're discussing, all these independent living skills, how much responsibility is a caregiver or adult taking versus how much responsibility is a young adult taking. And then we're looking for a shift in responsibility, not across the board. We're looking for a shift in responsibility in the targeted goal areas. Sometimes there'll be a little bit of generalization, but not usually. Usually we will see a shift where we focus our efforts. And then the last area is we use a tool that measures performance, satisfaction, and importance of goals. So the individuals we work with set their own goals. They give themselves a rating system, performance, satisfaction, importance, and we're looking to see a shift in that. And sometimes actually we see like a decrease in in importance, which is fine. You know, someone's like, oh, I really need to drive. And then we work really hard at driving and it's like, you know what? This isn't for me. Public transportation is where it's at for me. I'm going to abandon driving. That's fine. We're looking for some some movement in that area um, so that as individuals start to evaluate, you know, this is my goal. I'm actually improving my goal or maybe I'm satisfied with how I'm performing it. Um, So we're looking for some change in uh, identified goal areas. Mm -hmm. This brings up the question of self-assessment. Some Mm -hmm. students may say that they're good with life skills, but when you delve into it, you realize their parents are prompting prompting them or actually doing the Mm -hmm. life skills for them. How do you get an accurate assessment of a student's life skills? We use self-assessment for one, um, because we find that to be a useful tool regardless. So it's important to see how an individual sees themselves. Um, But we usually mirror the same tool. Uh, We have a family member complete it, but we do that in an interview style because um, similarly to what you're saying about individuals sometimes not seeing the way that they're getting helped by their families. Sometimes families don't see the way that they're helping their young adult. So we really, uh, in, we, we, it's sometimes a 90 minutes to two hour interview with families. Like we go through from the start of the day, you know, Oh, he gets up fine. Okay. Can you tell me about how exactly he wakes up in the morning? Let's talk mm-hmm. about what happens. How does that work? You know? Oh yeah. He brushes his teeth. Fine. Tell me how that process happens. Um, yeah. Yeah. So, I mean, this is our bread and butter. So we're afforded the opportunity to focus quite a lot of time on digging into these things. These interviews with family members, does it include the student as well, or is it just with the family member? Sometimes um, it does include the student to the extent that we can include students. Sometimes students are um, triggered by those conversations or just become so agitated that it, it's not a helpful conversation. But we do always sit down with the student and look at both both measures and try to talk about why, why are these different? And I would say there's plenty of times where it's, you know, the young adult is like, my room is clean. This is what clean, you know, my mom doesn't think it's clean because that's actually her definition of clean. We disagree about what the definition is. And that can happen with a caregiver too. That can happen. So when we dig deeper and when we talk about why there's a discrepancy, we also learn more. Um, Maybe, you know, we we have different expectations or the expectation isn't clear. or I thought I needed to brush my teeth for one minute and, you know, it's two minutes, or maybe I hate brushing my teeth and this is the best I can do right now. Um, So I'm just going to say I do it and I don't really want to be bothered about it. Um, And it doesn't matter if I don't brush my teeth. 
Unfortunately, I think life skills has a reputation of sort of being basic or simple. Um, but when you work with individuals and in new settings where they're taking on new challenges, th- these things are quite complex, I find. There are many, many, many layers. I mean, we've had students that, you know, when we're talking to the family initially, it's like, hey, you know, my son is working so hard on the academics that he's not showering. He's not brushing his teeth. Things that he can do independently, has done independently. Now that he's in a different environment, that has shifted. Mm -hmm. Um, And it's it's hard. And you talk to the students like, I just don't have any time. I don't have any time. And again, it goes back to what you guys are talking about, building in those routines and setting the goals so that they can make it relevant, more relevant, Right. right? Yeah. I also find that if somebody doesn't feel discomfort, um, it's difficult to change the habit. So this is true for all of us. So if someone's not showering and it, there's no real experience of discomfort around that, like someone's not, you know, getting, and I say consequence, I don't mean like they're getting in trouble. I just mean it's not impacting their life. No one's like commenting on it or they're not uncomfortable with it then they're not going to just like suddenly say like, oops, I should shower every day because that's what I should be doing. So there's a little bit of that that happens, I think, too, um, especially in a new environment where there's a new focus and maybe the external structures are gone. Mom's not saying, mm-hmm. geez, that's like a really dirty shirt. And then that makes somebody feel like, oh, that's a dirty <laughs> shirt. If no one's saying that, then like, why not wear that dirty shirt? I mean, you know, and and especially when it takes energy to make a change to do laundry. So This brings us to a question I wanted to jump into a little bit earlier, but this is a good time, about routines and goals. How does someone in college stick to a routine? How do they create a routine? How do they stick to it? The uh, million-dollar question. If I think back on my college years, I didn't stick to a routine. I I was an athlete. So I had the structure of athletics, which helped, but that was, you know, that's between that and your classes. That's like all you've got. Um, So I, uh, I approach this with my young adults by, by talking about um, what is their natural routine. And then we sort of map that out. Like what's when, when left your own devices, what time would you get up left your own devices? What time do you go to sleep? What time do you like to eat? What do you like to eat? You know, sort of like really thinking about that and then taking a look at that and thinking about, okay, how many of those things are going to continue to work in college? Because if you don't have to change it, that's a win. Because if we're going to ask them to change everything, it's going to be, it's not feasible. So, you know, I usually go to bed at one in the morning. Do you have any early morning classes? No, fine. Let's stick with a one o'clock at, you know, bedtime. That's great. And then, you know, sort of work from there so that then we can whittle down like, okay, the, we're, we need to change, you know, eating time. We need to make sure we're eating a little earlier than normal. And we need to make sure we're waking up on this one day a little earlier than normal. And then that becomes a concrete explicit goal. And then you're, you're backing into how am I doing that? So, you know, I need to wake up at eight. How am I going to do that? There's, you know, a thousand strategies for waking up at eight, which sometimes it's all for not, but we try and then also building in external expectations. So is there a club Um, you know, are, are there places that I need to show up that someone is expecting me that we can build in around that? Um, because sometimes there's a balance there. If it's too much, it's too much, but you want to have enough so that it starts to build like a framework, um, 
you know, a skeleton so that somebody doesn't just feel like they're floating, um, you know, with all of this time, which can feel like way too much. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. How can you tell when a student has achieved an appropriate level of skill? What are your measures for success? In terms of life skills, um, which in our world is, you know, is broad, it does include habits and routines and things um, when they're when they're achieving the goals that they set for themselves, um, you know, when they're when their skills are serving them um, and moving them towards what they want, then, you know, then then they're there. Um, another indicator that would, that would be like the primary 80% indicator. I would say another indicator is that they're meeting the expectations of not necessarily a family member, but of somebody who they need to show up for on a consistent basis, like a professor or a employer. Um, so, you know, I don't know why I'm thinking about dirty shirts, but, um, you know, if you, if you show up to work, uh, with a dirty shirt, then obviously, you know, your skills aren't where they need to be. Um, if you never go to work because you have different goals and, you know, you're not having consequences for the wearing a shirt twice in a row to wherever you're going, then that's, you know, maybe, maybe it's working, maybe it's not, but maybe it is. Um, and health and well, I mean, health and wellness, of course, is like a baseline, you know, so like you have to be clean enough that you're that you're physically well. Um, but most of the people we work with, we're not really at that sort of baseline level. It's more like, um, you know, I think life skills get subjective quickly. We think that they're just flat out skills, but like cleaning the dishes is a flat out skill. How often you do the dishes, where you put the dishes when they're dirty, you know, those are all subjective things. Um, how long the dishes sit in the dishwasher before you run it or before you unload it it becomes suggest subjective quickly. So to the extent that it's working for that individual to meet their goals, I would say that would be our primary metric. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. What is the most important question you want to be asked? Interesting question. Um, I think that um, one important question that often gets missed, particularly with going to college, is how a change in setting can impact performance around independent living skills. Mm -hmm. um, I think we frequently grossly underestimate the way that a change in setting impacts existing habits and routines and skills. Mm -hmm. I'm sure our listeners have a great idea about this from our conversation, but why do you think you're so good at what you do? I think that one of the keys to our success is the willingness to partner with the individuals that we work with and meet them where they are and build on what feels meaningful to them. I can't say enough that individuals, regardless of what their diagnosis is, even if it's like in quotes and, you know, just learning disability, just ADD, which I think can often get minimized. Um, these individuals have a lifetime experience of people putting their own expectations, goals, and dreams onto them and asking them to meet them without really always being able to, to like partner with them and align with them and, and try to understand 
you know, who are you and how is this going to work for you? Um, or what is it that you want? And so I think when we take that approach with the people that we work with, um, they are so thrilled to feel as though they have a collaborator who can help move them along towards where they want to go. Um, that I think it is a key piece of our success. With that comes, you know, we also have to do lots of educate, lots of educating of family members, lots of educating of community members around like helping people understand sort of where these individuals are coming from, um, particularly around like their own goals, what feels important to them and why it's critical to honor that. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. We only have a few minutes left, but I want to ask you for parting words for parents and also parting words for students. What would you tell parents? It might kind of be the same. I would say for parents, you know, especially for this age group, I think just taking a deep breath and slowing down a little bit. These guys may or may not finish college in four years and it's it's okay. There's a lot of paths in life. We see tremendous growth in the individuals we work with between like 27 and 33, um, late twenties, early thirties, things, many things shift. So just like take a deep breath and take one thing at a time and you know, you'll, you'll get there. And for students, maybe it's the same, you know, take yeah. a deep breath, take stock of where you are, celebrate your accomplishments. That goes, goes for families too. And just set one goal at a time. Building habits is the name of the game. Just like little by little by little. That's how we build the life that we want. Wonderful. Thank you. Let us all celebrate and take a deep breath. Mm -hmm. Super (laughs) great advice for anyone. Anyone. We can all take that. Yeah. Yeah. Thank you so much for being with us, Brooke. What an interesting conversation. I love the connection, the theology connection at the beginning, finding Mm -hmm. meaning really super. Thank you so much. It was a pleasure to be here.